Welcome back to Radical Ones. I'm your host, Xander Schultz, here as always with my producer, Phineas. Phineas, we've got a great episode today and a great guest. You want to share? Today, we venture into the world of psychedelics. <laughs> and our guest is Henry St. Kasha, which I think I'm saying that right. He is the co-founding partner at Conscious You're Fund. definitely saying Henry right. I can verify you're saying Henry correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Henry we have. He's co-founding partner at the Conscious Fund. They're one of the leading funds that invests in psychedelic and cannabinoid companies. Yep. They're big believers in healing through psychedelics. And basically it's like he sees it as, a, as an alternative medicine, but something that is a critical component to healing our challenges around mental health and so many other things. And so Conscious Fund invests in different psychedelic-focused and cannabinoid-focused businesses, ventures. Right. The nice thing about crisis is we're willing to get a little risky or outside of our comfort zone to, to tackle them, right? I think that's uh, some of the nice outcomes of COVID is, is people started considering really radically different solutions, you know, to poverty, to, you know, supporting each other, to, you know, creating vaccines, like all that stuff, right? It's like crazy ideas become a little less crazy. And it seems like we're at that point with mental health. Globally, uh, within our country, that therapy alone isn't the solution. It's good that people are starting to get, get more therapy. That's not the solution. We're facing new challenges that are largely impacting our mental health. You know, we can stay biologically alive <laughs> more and more, but like how we belong in a society of hundreds of millions of people, how we have display value to our community. There's so many different forces that are driving people towards things like depression, things like addiction. It's totally understandable like how we're getting there, but but it's at a point now where we're having to explore things that were maybe taboo not too long ago. And luckily for us, you know, there's folks like Henry pushing the envelope and getting us to think about things like psychedelics, right? Mushrooms, cannabinoids that can potentially solve these issues and they're having having great success in doing so. How would you describe the problem you're solving? We are solving a very broken series of mental health and addiction approaches, whether they're broken because of therapeutic approaches, whether they are broken because of the underlying compounds used in those approaches. I think it's pretty clear that for a large percentage of the patient population that have either got mental health problems or addictions, the status quo is simply not working. And at best, they're not getting better. Many people are actually getting worse due to the treatment regimes that they're being forced into. And we are trying to encourage a revolution in the way that mental health and addiction treatment is delivered based on psychedelic enhanced treatments can you help me understand how we how we got to this point in history where you're doing what you're doing now what have been the key moments in history uh that brought us to today the first was way back when the world was created and humanity 
first steps onto the world stage. <laughs> We're starting way back. I think we've got to because it is it's getting increasingly apparent that the brain is very delicate. It's very complex. It's very susceptible to damage. It's very susceptible to brain chemistry problems, incorrect thought patterns. We've all got effectively a racehorse in our heads. It's easily spooked and it means that almost everybody is vulnerable to some some type of mental condition and a certain percentage are also vulnerable to addiction. And that's really built into our brains. The two strands of key events that happened much, much later in terms of the way that these problems are looked at, we've seen an increased stigmatization of mental health over the last hundred years. There's a lovely book called Mad in America, which describes the gradual unraveling of what was initially a very enlightened way of looking at mental health. You go through, you know, sort of bedlam and these awful old mental hospitals. You go through things like electric shock therapy. And then nothing has really improved in that treatment. We've then become reliant on prescriptions, some of them incredibly dangerous. We've become reliant on endless therapy that goes nowhere except your bank balance gradually is eroded to nothing and we have genuinely reached a crisis and I think if you talk to people that have got any mental condition that's resilient to current treatments if you talk to addicts that are trying to get clean but are struggling and also because we'll touch on this later if you talk to people that have got life-changing chronic pain who probably would have ended up on opioids and many still do or NSAID type painkillers we are facing a disaster in terms of mental health. And that's come about for so many different reasons that it would almost fill a 12-hour show. Um, we'll, have, we'll, we'll have to get you on uh, Joe Rogan after this <laughs> one so. if you need the 12 hours. <laughs> I hope so. It's a fascinating <laughs> subject. And g- genuinely, if you do look back, early mental health clinics were paradise compared to what we've got now. And approaches were very holistic, People were very sensitive to how they treated people with these problems. And we've come full circle. And for many of these patients, it is a living hell. The other big strand is that going back to prehistory, not quite as long as the birth of humanity, but pretty close, we've always used psychedelic compounds in a in a healing or a ceremonial context. The earliest evidence is about 25,000 years old. That's some uh, Siberian cave paintings. And you'll see depictions of psychedelic use on every continent except Antarctica because there's only penguins and polar bears there. But every other continent has this continual usage of these compounds for healing. And this was recognised by science. There was lots of experiments done. If you go back to people like your namesake Shulgin, um, even as far as, you know, 100 years ago, there was very valuable scientific work up to the 60s and 70s. And then there was a complete hiatus. You get to the Reagan war on drugs and everything shut down. That's now been revived. And what we're seeing now is the confluence of these two events, mental health and addiction crisis, and a very potent set of compounds with a proven ability to tackle a lot of these issues 
And we've also got in the background, you've got this huge kind of engine of venture capital and startups and bioscience and technology and people learning stuff online. And it's there is now a psychedelic renaissance happening and it's being driven mostly by that unmet patient need. Right on. And just to zoom in a little bit more on this history, can you, can you give me some color on that revival? Like what, why, why did we go from this kind of Reagan era, you know, all drugs are bad. We're sending people off to jail for decades <laughs> for, for drug charges too. It seems like both the science field, the scientific field and like culturally we are open more to to these alternatives and you're saying it's somewhat driven by just the need being so pressing i just wonder also like what else or who else was involved in that revival that's now allowing for these venture capital funds like like your fund to exist i think there were four sets of actors you've got first of all a very brave set of long-term scientists and advocates for psychedelic medicine that were not driven away from it during the prohibition and continued to look for solutions when psychedelics were not cool at all. And it was very much a niche and you were a bit of a kind of geek. It's a pretty similar story in that respect to, say, computers. When Bill Gates was, um, you know, making his name when he was young, he probably wasn't in the cool bracket. And now everybody loves technology geeks and then the flavor of the month. But there is this long period where these scientists and um, experts had to continue their work. There was also a body of people who were seekers, I guess you'd call them, whether they were going to South America to take ayahuasca or Africa to take iboga or digging up mushrooms in some British muddy field during the mushroom season. There was a body of anecdotal evidence building up. Mm -hmm. The third group was patients. And just as you saw with cannabis and things like Dravet syndrome, childhood epilepsy, there were patients that were absolutely determined to solve their own problems, a lot of whom, interestingly, are now in key positions within the psychedelic medicine sector who had such awful conditions that they were prepared to go to any lengths to solve them. And they continued. And the fourth group of actors, and I have to give them credit, is the them, the man, the government, the regulators, mm -hmm. these people that everybody says are terrible. There's actually been quite an openness to this. You've seen... You know, the, the FDA in America fast-track MDMA and psilocybin as therapies. DARPA, which is probably the least conservative entity in the US with its own psychedelic research program. Governments all over the world allowing special access. Some of that was, you know, cannabis breaking the ground and smashing preconceptions. Others, you know, it was driven by patient advocacy. And some of it is simply driven by the science, which is pretty overwhelming. And collectively, this group of quite disparate adventurers has managed to change the landscape and set the foundation for a small but very rapidly growing uh, sector that um, I think will actually eclipse cannabis and will be a huge medical subsector. I wonder, how, how did you get introduced to this 
topic. And then when did like, what, what was the journey between like, okay, I, I understand, you know, what's going on here to This is now my life mission and I'm going to focus entirely on that. I've taken psychedelics since I was very young, probably younger than most people would recommend. Um, <laughs> I've been through that um, mental health odyssey, which was, I guess, a downwards slide and I always knew and the people around me knew instinctively that one of the solutions to mental health and addiction, even though we couldn't prove it because none of us were scientists, probably lay in psychedelics. You know, we used to compare the mental health of people that took psychedelics to the friends that drank a lot right. to deal with stress or the people that were completely cold turkey and were really edgy all the time um, while saying how healthy they were. And there was just something inherent in these compounds that fascinated me. I started to learn about the science. I looked at cannabinoids. I looked at psychedelics, opioids, all kinds of... Um, and I had it as a kind of um, obsessive hobby. And then through a series of adventures, I used to grow organic cannabis in Northern California I'd been a technology entrepreneur, so I knew about the venture world. Um, the stars just aligned. And three years ago, I met a well-known venture capitalist and we said, this is a bit of a leap of faith, but probably there's going to be a psychedelic medicine sector. And when there is, the best place to be is going to be at the apex of where the capital meets the new breed of companies and entrepreneurs. Why don't we set up a fund? And for a year, everybody told us we were completely insane and investors looked at us as if we were, you know, Martians. And then <laughs> stuff began to happen. We yeah. started to raise money. We made investments. The industry started to coalesce. We ran a huge conference, still the biggest one ever. A pipe dream became reality and we met other dreamers i shouldn't have said pipe dream it's probably the worst <laughs> term i could have used it's sorry right, it's a better we, story now that you're successful if it was a pipe dream <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. um i mean we're still not there it's still super early but um th the key thing to convey is that we knew what those compounds could do from the inside totally and we knew other people that knew it too and it wasn't a bandwagon we were jumping on we were trying to build the bandwagon out of old bits of wood and somebody else's wheels and eventually the wagon started moving yeah i mean one thing that comes up over and over again on this podcast is the people with lived experiences are best situated to solve our problems and get in front of these things and um it sounds Absolutely. like it sounds like you totally fit that 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 story arc as well all right, so so we're hinting at what you're doing, but do you, do you want to share just broadly? You're, you've started the Conscious Fund. Can you tell us, you know, what it's all about and, and how it's gone so far? So, I run a venture capital fund uh, with two partners. We are the most active early stage venture capital fund. The, although we're not there yet, the aim is to become the sequoia of psychedelic medicine, and we do two things: we back early stage companies and we help to grow them. We've now made 14 investments, some of them going back to the dark ages of psychedelics. Some of them are now big companies like Atai. Many are publicly listed like Cybin, Numinous. And we've also done a lot of incubation work. So we've taken ideas and we've created companies out of thin air from the Psychedelic Medicines Association, which is a not-for-profit, 
to bring the new breed of doctors into the industry and train them. Companies like Microdose, which is a media and conferences brand, through clinics. We've got four clinics opening through our Hive brand. And now, pretty heavy drug discovery. We've brought a a cancer-related anxiety company to public markets. That will be public in Canada. We've got a huge dementia initiative. Wow. And we've just launched an all-female team who are tackling the symptoms of menopause using uh, psychedelics and also over-the-counter products. So we are fanatical innovators of psychedelics, whether it's somebody else's company and we help or a company that we create for ourselves. If you're as successful as possible... Everything goes your way for the next decade. What is true about the world in 10 years? Hundreds of millions of people that have got a hopeless situation are now conceiving that they have a future when at the moment they are almost effectively waiting to die, sadly. I mean, there's a lot of soft nonsense talked about mental health and addiction the reality for people with enough insight into their own condition is that for many people, it's it's not actually worth being alive with that type of condition. Suicide is stigmatised. It's actually very difficult to do because of all kinds of defence mechanisms in the body so that, and the brain. So you've got you know hundreds of millions of people that are just running down the clock. They're not really thinking forwards. They're trying to get through each day. Um, everything is a blur. They're not that productive. And I would like to think that a good chunk of those actively want to live, actively want to do something and have fundamentally changed their view of the world and of themselves. I would think that would be the optimum outcome. I'm excited for that outcome. That's that's absolutely beautiful. (laughs) It's very possible. And if you talk to people that take these compounds in the right conditions... That is exactly what they say. My life changed totally and has continued to change. And many are changed so profoundly that they want to pass it on to others. So this is not a, it's not a hypothetical thing. It's already happening. It's just, it's happening to very limited numbers of people. Well, last thing we do here is give the guests the floor. You said a lot. It was, it was awesome. It was so, I, I love I love these podcasts I have. I'm a little deeper in the racial justice and criminal justice world. And sometimes I come in knowing a little bit about the topic, even though all of our guests are such specialists, they always have a lot to teach me. But this is this is really a new world for me, but the history of it, the key players, what's going on. And so I really appreciate our time together. So, so the floor is yours. You can share with our audience whatever you'd like to share. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Pleasure. Um, I'll try and keep it brief and interesting. I guess... I would encourage your audience to look at the profundity of these compounds and what they really do in the brain and how, for the first time, we're really re-harnessing compounds that let people think and operate on a higher level, whether that gives people insight into an addiction, whether it lets them overcome a trauma. These are not ordinary molecules. They do something to the brain that has to be experienced to be believed. And the key difference between them and other therapeutic approaches is previously 
I think we've assumed that if you give somebody a tablet, they take it, they take it every day. And in the background, the brain fairies knit everything back together and suddenly you get better. And that obviously doesn't work and it is demonstrably useless. These compounds give patients the tools to fix themselves. You're not relying on the drug. You're not relying on a on a therapist sitting bored on his couch. You're undertaking the work yourself with a more powerful brain. You can see it with brain scans. Your brain literally gets more powerful. And that is a tool for A, overcoming a lot of problems. And secondly, if you think forwards, imagine a world in which more people have had these enlightened experiences and are then making decisions in government, are doing scientific projects, they're doing charity work, they're controlling flows of money, the justice system, everything based on greater insight into themselves and the connections between other people. That is a genuinely new world. And I think given what's happening currently, and COVID is a blip on that, there are far worse things happening than COVID. We need that more than ever at the moment. And these compounds are not a panacea, they're not a miracle, but they are definitely one of the keys that will unlock that new world. Thank you for listening to Radical Ones. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Radical Ones. You can also follow us on social at Radical Ones Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. Take care.